Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. I'll join with that as well. Uh, if we haven't met yet, I'm Roger. I'm married to Sarah, and we live in Forest Fields. Um, I'd love to meet you over coffee afterwards if we haven't already met. So, 2019 is in the books. 2020 is here, uh, the start of a fresh decade. And I don't know what the last few weeks have had in store for you. They, for us, they involved lots of games and quizzes over the Christmas period. And so I was wondering if you have any leftover quizzing energy for this morning. Yeah, there seems to be some keenness there. <clears throat> My specialist subject is music. So I'd like to start with a little uh, guess the intro, name that song. Uh, we're going to go back through the past few decades, OK? So we're going to play some classic hits uh, from the start of the last few decades. And if you recognize the song, uh, then shout out the song, shout out the artist. Um, it's not a competition. You're not competing against anyone. There's no prizes apart from my admiration, which I think is, is worth fighting for. Um, <laughs> Okay, so yeah, we're going to start off with a hit from January 2010, okay? Ten years ago. Hit it. Yes, Chris Barton. Fireflies by Owl City, a classic one. Um, okay, the year 2000. What is it? Oh, close. Yeah, it's Westlife. Well, I have a dream. Yeah, do you recognize that one? Okay, 1990. This is before I was born. Yes, Sinead O'Connor. Nothing compares to you. Cool. 40 years ago then, 1980. Yes, Pink Floyd. Another brick in the wall, part two. Quite correct. Okay, the last one then. 1970, yeah. <laughs> this is uh, Rick Lusmore's specialist subject. <laughs> Hit songs from the start of every decade. Okay, well, good work, everyone. I think you did pretty well. We're going to look at another hit song this morning, uh, one that's a little bit older, that is, in fact, about 3,000 years old, but uh, arguably is aged better than any of those five songs. Um, we don't know how the melody went exactly. Uh, we do know that it was originally arranged for choir with stringed instruments. So if we could have uh, Chris Barton on the guitar and Johnny on the bass. No, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to sing, but we are going to read this song together. It's uh, Psalm 61, uh, written by David. If you have a Bible, uh, do turn there. If not, the words will be on the screen. So Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Okay. So, yeah, this song was written by David. Uh, that's David of David and Goliath fame, of uh, King David fame, of David and Bathsheba infamy. 
If you're not very familiar with the Bible, though, or with King David, here are two very important pieces of context that will help us as we're looking at this song together. And that is that David was a warrior and a worshipper. David's public reputation was staked on the fact that he was a mighty warrior in battle, from the taking down of Goliath, the the sling, uh, all the way through onwards in his life as the king. He was known as a man who stood up for God's people against the surrounding nations who were trying to crush them. The Bible even records that people would sing songs about how amazing David was in battle. Everyone knew that David was a warrior. But David was also a worshipper. He penned around half of the Psalms that we have in our Bibles. And from early in his life, he was called into the service of King Saul uh, because his skill as a musician, as as a harp player, brought peace to, uh, to Saul. And then when David was king himself, he organized musicians and singers who would serve the Lord in worship. And we get all these lists in the book of Chronicles in the Bible showing the care that he took to set up orderly worship. He was a man who prioritized worship in his own life, but also in the lives of the people who God had called him to lead. Well, we don't know exactly when in his life David wrote this particular song, but the lyrics do give us some idea about the circumstances. He says, From the end of the earth I call to you. So it's likely that this psalm dates from a time in David's life where he wasn't at home, either because he was away fighting a battle or because he was in exile. And when it talks about from the ends of the earth, our Western minds, with our knowledge of maps and geography, might immediately jump to thinking about Antarctica or perhaps the middle of the Sahara Desert. But given David's Israel-centric worldview, he's more likely talking about being at the boundary of the land that God had promised to his people. And this would have been the case in many of the battles that David fought as he was out there uh, fighting for his people uh, on the edges of the territory that he ruled over. So that's David's physical status here, and it's paired with the emotional state, which he describes as his heart being faint. How many of us can relate to that feeling of having a faint heart, of just not feeling inwardly strong? Perhaps that was your reaction to all the political turmoil of 2019, just looking at the news and feeling overwhelmed by it or not sure how to react to it. Or maybe you've been facing incredibly challenging and pressurized situations at at work or at home. Or maybe you've doubted whether you'll make it through in one piece. While others are getting excited about all they're going to achieve in this year ahead, your biggest resolution might just be surviving through 2020. Well, David here is starting this psalm by essentially saying, When I'm far away and feel at my weakest, I will cry out to you, God. How wonderful that we can cry out to God wherever we are, however we feel. I love the brutal honesty of it, the way that David comes before God and says, Listen to me, God. I'm feeling far from you. I'm feeling weak right now. I need you to hear my prayer. And it might not sound like it, but this is an excellent model for us in our prayer life bringing our true selves before God and crying out to him. And this is the heart of a worshipper as well. It's not necessarily someone who comes to church super happy every week, but it's someone who comes to God honestly. 
And in our times of worship here, we mustn't be afraid of having honest contributions, prayers and songs that cover the full emotional spectrum. And in the course of this psalm, David is reminded that God is, in fact, a God who hears us. And we see that assurance in verse 5 there. It says, you have heard my vows. So he starts by saying, hear my cry, and then you have heard my vows. David's got a history with God. He can lean on times in his past when God has answered him. And sometimes we need to do this ourselves, reminding ourselves of prayers that God has answered or of times where we felt real assurance that God has heard our cries. And there's another example of this in the lyrics. In verse 3, David says, You have been my refuge. And then in the very next verse, he says, Let me take refuge. You have been. Still, let me take refuge. So David's past experiences are fueling his prayers in the present for what he wants in the future. And prayer can build a momentum like this when we remind ourselves of what God has done in the past. I experienced this myself in the area of work. So a few years ago when I finished doing the intern year here at Grace Church back in 2014, um, I didn't have a a job lined up for afterwards apart from some freelance music work that I was doing. Um, And my consistent prayer was that God would open a door for me to the right job. And for me, I felt like that was one that would enable me to stay in Nottingham, one that would enable me to stay actively involved in church life. And it wasn't the first position I applied for, but eventually I got a job uh, based over on Jubilee Campus, organizing conferences for Cancer Research Charity. And I'd had no idea that this job even existed, okay? I mean, conference organizer wasn't anything that I'd particularly aspired to at school. Um, But God knew about this job. And it was an answer to my prayers beyond anything I could have imagined, really. I really loved working there. I had great colleagues, great relationships. But then back at the start of last year, I felt like God was leading me on again, leading me on from there and into a different season of life. And I had the confidence to trust God to open doors to the next things that he had for me because of the way that I'd seen him answer that prayer in the past. It's not to say it was really easy or I didn't have moments of doubt or questioning, but reminding myself that God had opened the right door for me in the past really did help me to live well in that time of transition and looking ahead to what was next. Uh, I'm now working part-time at 200 degrees in town, so if you're uh, in town at some point, pop in for a coffee. might make you a flat white. Um, And I'm, yeah, really enjoying doing that whilst doing some theology training alongside it. What is it that you're crying out to God for right now? If God has answered your prayers in a similar area in the past, then cling on to that and build yourself up by reminding yourself of that situation, that time when when you saw God really answer that prayer. Sure, many of you will have a prayer journal somewhere at home. Uh, Perhaps the start of the year would be a good time to dig it out and have a read back through to see what God has done uh, with you in the past. Or you could seek out someone else who has got a story from their life of God answering the very same prayer that you're praying right now. You could spend time with them in prayer, letting their testimony encourage you in the battle that you're facing. So back to our psalm, and to perhaps the most famous line from it, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It sounds very poetic, doesn't it? Uh, What does it actually mean? What is David actually asking God for? 
But I think it's important to remember the context again. That David is very likely in a battleground scenario as he's writing these lyrics. Picture, if you can, the dry lands of the Middle East with towering cliffs, steep paths, rocky territory. David would have been painfully aware of the importance of the high ground, both for the protection it would provide from his enemies uh, and also for the view and perspective on the battle. He's in a perilous situation right now, and just a small change in his circumstances, just a slightly elevated position, isn't the answer. But it's like he's standing at the bottom of a sheer cliff, thinking, I need to be at the top of that, but there's absolutely no way I can get there. A favorite old commentator of mine, Matthew Henry, puts it like this. He says, David is saying, lead me to the rock, which is too high for me to get up to, unless you help me to it. Doesn't this sound like the gospel? We were at the bottom of that sheer cliff, separated from God by the sin and selfishness in our life. No way to get up to that safe ground. We maybe even tried to climb the cliff on our own, trying to do good works to get us up there, but we kept slipping back down. But then, coming to the end of ourselves and crying out to God, we asked him to bring us to where we could never get to in our own strength, and we found ourselves planted on high ground, a solid place from which we can never fall down again. What is it that lifts us up? It's Christ Jesus, who was crucified, taking on our sins, whom God raised to new life, that we too may be raised in his power. And our lives can now be built on that rock, that solid foundation. What grace it was that lifted us to the rock that is higher. So, David's song includes this powerful picture of the high rock. Uh, and the lyrics also include a number of other metaphors, which I think are really important for us to get our head around. So David says in verse 3 that God has been his strong tower against the enemy. Uh, my mental image when I hear the word tower like that is, is something like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, um, which Sarah and I actually went to on our honeymoon and saw it, uh, and it is indeed pretty, pretty wonky. Um, and it's not very strong and fortified. It's, it's in fact just the bell tower of the, the big church that they have there in Pisa. That's not what David is talking about here is a strong tower. It's, David is talking about something much more heavily fortified, much less wonky, Okay. <laughs> David uh, has known God to provide for him a place of protection, a place of shelter and security so that David's enemy can't take him out. And we too can know that same spiritual protection in God. David also asks God that he may dwell in his tent forever. And again, the picture there is not of a little camping tent. I'm quite partial to the occasional camping trip. I don't think my wife Sarah can imagine anything worse than perpetual camping, living in a tent forever. It's like a worse nightmare. Thankfully, the tent that David's talking about, it's a metaphor for the place where God's presence is. David wants to be close to God, not an outsider. And this picture takes us back to the time of Moses, where... Uh, the people of Israel were all tent dwellers. They were living in that land between uh, Egypt and the promised land in the wilderness. Uh, it says this in Exodus 33, starting at verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And every, any, everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. When Moses entered the tent, 
the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Oh. So David is seeking that constant communion with God. And again, this is fulfilled for us through Jesus. Jesus came down as a man, as we've been celebrating at Christmas. He pitched his tent among us, so to speak. And then after his ascension, he poured out his Holy Spirit into the hearts of those who believe, so that we now have become tents for his presence, just like we were celebrating in our worship time. Wonderfully, this prayer of David has been answered for us more deeply than he could ever have imagined. And so on to the final metaphor in the psalm then. And this is one that I'll freely admit has always confused me. Uh, It's where David asks that he might take refuge under the shelter of God's wings. Uh, I've always heard this verse and other similar bits in the Bible. And imagine birds that are flying around, maybe circling around with a, a baby bird trying to fly directly beneath the big bird so that it's somehow a little bit protected from the elements. But it's actually a much more tender image than that. The image is, imagine a bird in a nest with the little chicks tucked under its wings, just their little heads poking out. There they find warmth, they find uh, protection from the predators that might be trying to get them. They find security. What a comforting image that is. And what a great prayer this is for us to pray, that God would help us too to find refuge under the shelter of his comforting wings. Well, this psalm is David's song, it's David's prayer, it's David's story. Here was this powerful conquering king who yet knew that he couldn't succeed in his own strength and who humbled himself by crying out to God for help and comfort. And I'm sure that for many of you too, this psalm has been a song of your life that has brought comfort and assurance to you as you've prayed these same 3,000-year-old words. And we began by seeing that these are the lyrics of a warrior and a worshipper. And if you know Jesus, then that is now your identity too. But where David had earthly battles to fight, our battle is a spiritual one. We're not warriors with physical spears or arrows, but with God's word and with prayer. It talks about this in Ephesians 6. Uh, Paul's writing to the Christians in Ephesus, and he says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. It's clear, isn't it? Just like David, we are in a fierce battle right now. Following Jesus isn't an easy road. 
and puts us right in the crosshairs of the enemy. But God has equipped us for the battle ahead this year. He's given us this wonderful protective armor, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation. And he's given us one offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, his word. We need to learn to wield God's word well, to use it in all circumstances to fight against the evil one. It's so important that we don't try and live this battle of faith with our only offensive weapon back on the bookshelf getting dusty. And I don't want us to miss this, that this psalm is not just for David or for you or for me as individuals. It is given for us. It is to be our song, our prayer, and our story. We're not solo warriors or solo worshippers. We're part of a spiritual battalion, and we're members of a community of worship. Remember, we saw that this psalm was dedicated by David to the choir master. God's people have been singing this song together for thousands of years. And my point is this, that God has placed us in community so that we can journey together. We're not little islands of faith. We are the body of Christ, and we have a song to sing. Perhaps earlier when I asked what it is that you're crying out to God for at the moment, there was immediately something that came to mind for you. Well, church means that you don't have to carry that burden alone. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe you've been trying for years to have a family, to have children of your own, but it just isn't happening. Well, there are others in our church family here who have walked that path already. Perhaps you're feeling overwhelmed by the task of raising godly children in a pretty challenging cultural context. Again, why not find some parents whose approach you admire and pick their brains, pray with them. You might be battling addiction right now to a substance or to pornography or to some other habit that you know is self-destructive. And perhaps it's still hidden, nobody knows about it. Well, I can assure you that others here have been through those struggles and come out the other side. You're not meant to fight that battle by yourself. You need prayer warriors to stand alongside you. Maybe when I talked about the Bible, your heart sunk a little bit, and you're actually finding it a bit of a slog to read the Bible right now. Or you don't really know how to get started. Perhaps you feel intimidated by the prospect of studying such an old book. Again, I really encourage you to chat to someone about that. Let's talk more in our church life here about the word that we're trying to live our lives based upon. Well, we're here at the start of the year wondering again what it is that we're going to make of the months ahead. <clears throat> David's resolution is right there in the last line of his song. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after the day. This is the paradigm for us in 2020, to be continually praising God and to day after day perform our vows through prayer and reading the Bible. It's not a complicated formula. But we don't do that stuff because we feel like we should do it. We do it because we want to know our God, our wonderful God, more deeply. He's the one who loves us so much, who cares for us so completely, who gives us protection and refuge and shelter through the storms of life. 
here's what I'd love us to do in response to this message. If you aren't walking with Jesus right now, but your heart feels faint, uh, and you know that you can't do it this year in your own strength, you need a solid, a solid rock to build your life upon. I'd love to chat to you about taking the first steps of walking with Jesus, uh, the one who came down to raise us up onto that high rock. So when we're done from the front this morning, why not come and grab me or someone else who you've seen on, who you've seen on stage? And we'd love to chat with you. But if you do know Jesus and you're feeling particularly aware of how much you need him as a refuge and as a help in the year ahead, there's an opportunity here for you to recommit yourself to worship, to prayer, to the word. And I'd really love to pray for everyone who feels the Holy Spirit stirring them that, in that way. So in a moment, we'll all close our eyes. And if you particularly want to take this moment as a chance to commit yourself afresh to the Lord, then uh, put up your hand as, as an outward symbol. Can we have the bands back up? <laughs>